If you have the Lord's Word tonight, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. When we come to Isaiah 49, the, the people of Israel are still in bondage in Babylon. God has promised them that their time has come to an end and He's getting ready to take them home. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, as you get towards about Isaiah 42, uh, 44, somewhere around there, it concludes, or it includes, Isaiah's book includes four servant songs. Uh, these servant songs are going to ultimately, of course, point to Christ, but it starts out with uh, the servant really being Israel. And Israel has not been faithful to. Uh, her calling to be God's servant. And so God is going to send another servant that's going to live in obedience to Him. And Isaiah 49 is the second of four uh, servant songs. And so look at uh, me beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read through about verse 7. Isaiah 49 beginning in verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from far, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In His quiver, He hid me away. And He said to me, You are my servant. Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Great words for a people in bondage. Have you... Uh, have you ever faced a situation, uh, seemingly an impossible situation, how do you respond? You know, I know sometimes when people have a bad day, they go home and they pull a pint of ice cream out of the refrigerator and they eat a whole pint of ice cream. Some people grab the chocolate and they OD on chocolate. They eat enough chocolate to, to a whole lot more chocolate than they need to. I've seen some people sit down and eat a whole bag of Lay's potato chips. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Probably better not raise your hand on that one. 
You know, for some people, uh, dealing with the difficulties of life or a difficult situation, some people really enjoy listening to music, classical music, uh, sometimes uh, is soothing. Uh, What brings you comfort? You know, some things almost seem impossible to get comfort from. For example, the loss of a job or a bad doctor's diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or even divorce uh, can be an issue that really you can't seem to get beyond. The people of Israel had experienced conquering armies. They literally had been decimated by the armies of Babylon. Babylon invaded and took them off into bondage on three different occasions. Uh, the last time that Babylon, ba- the Babylons were in Israel, they literally destroyed Jerusalem. Tore down the walls, tore down the temple, took all the gold and copper vessels from the house of the Lord and took it away to Babylon. The people had been in bondage for 70 years. Most of the people that left Jerusalem, headed towards Babylonia, never returned home. Most of them died there. This was mainly their children that we're talking about. And God is making them a promise that there, we saw in Isaiah 40, where God says, your warfare is ended, your time of service, your slavery, because they were put in bondage. They weren't given freedom to be shopkeepers and all this kind of stuff. They were made to be slaves to serve the people of Babylonia. Can you imagine how difficult it was for them? Uh, They bore the guilt of turning away from God. They bore the guilt of not listening to God's prophets. You remember they stoned God's prophets and they refused to listen to them. Uh, They threw Jeremiah in a cistern and left him to die. Had somebody not gone to get him out, he would have died in that cistern. they, they actually just absolutely refused to listen to anything that God had to, had to say to them. They bore the guilt of trusting in idols. They knew that there was only one real God. Why in the world would they go and do, be like the nations around them and start worshiping pieces of stone and pieces of wood that have no breath or life in them, that cannot answer any prayer? Why would they trade the living God for pieces of wood and stone. God promised. God spoke to him. He said, you either turn away from idols and turn back to me or I will bring destruction. He sent a number of prophets. He gave them a number of chances. God was patient with his people. He gave them time after time after time. And yet the people never thought God was going to really do something against them. Because they were God's chosen people. They bore the guilt of their disobedience. They bore the guilt of God's judgment. Think about the the heaviness of heart because they had been moved from God's promised land, the place where God had put them, where they were God's people. And they were moved out of there and went to a pagan city where you know, if you read the book of, of uh, Daniel, you'll see how they tried to reorient the lives, even of the young people. They tried to train them in the way of, ways of the Babylonian gods and in the wisdom of Babylonian literature. They tried to reorient their thinking away from God. 
Can you imagine the guilt and the difficulty? I don't think a, a, a pint of uh, chocolate ice cream is going to fix that. You know, I don't think a bag of Lay's potato chip is going to fix something like that. Their hearts were literally burdened down. Can you imagine the joy that they must have experienced when God says, I'm going to bring you home again. I'm going to bring you back to where you belong. I'm going to bring you back to me. The people of God felt like God had forsaken them. Uh, but God wanted them to understand He had more compassion for them than a mother has for her nursing child. Think about that for just a minute. You want to see a mama riled up? Try to do something against one of her babies. You'll find out you, you, you'll get a tiger by the tail. Uh, but God had more compassion for His people than even the mother does for her child. That's a lot of compassion, isn't it? God cared for them. God had not abandoned them. Many of them had thought, where's God in all this? How in the world could God let something like this happen? Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? I have. How could God let my child die? How could God let my spouse die? You know, why now? I mean, just, you know, why did I lose my job? I was doing everything right. This other person over here got my job and they were unethical, they were immoral, they did everything wrong, and yet they got the job and I didn't. Why? That's not fair. As my dad told me when I was a young man, he said, Son, life's not fair, so you might as well just get used to it. But it still hurts, doesn't it, when you go through something like that? These people thought God had abandoned them, and God said, No, you're still my people. I still love you, and I'm going to send my servant. And He's going to do more than just restore Israel and Jacob. He is going to be a light to the nations. Look what it says here. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Listen. What's the first thing that you and I need to do when we walk with the Lord? Do we not need to hear His voice? Do we not need to listen? I struggle sometimes with this. I, I don't know how you are, but I've got so many needs, and lately the, the prayer list just seems to get longer and longer and longer. And it's like you spend all this time telling God, praying for these specific needs and these specific individuals and all the stuff that's going on in the world. And then you say amen and you run off, and you really don't stop and listen to what God has to say. Believers should listen to God. Whenever the Old Testament writers referred to the word peoples, typically they were referring to the pagan nations. And what God was trying to say to all these peoples, He said the peoples that uh, in the coastlands, uh, the people that, uh, that live in afar, the people far away from Israel, listen and pay attention because you're going to see just what I can do with my people. God wanted them to pay attention. The expression, listen to me, is, a unique, is unique to the book of Isaiah. And only the Lord uses this phrase as He addresses His people. Notice what God says. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Who is He talking about? Who is the servant? 
Who is that servant that God's talking about? Is it Israel? No, Israel had been disobedient to God. Who is the one who had a name even before he was named? He said, even from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. What did the angels tell Mary? What was the name? That's right. You shall call his name Jesus. Long before, while he was still in the womb, before he was ever born, the angel told Mary what Jesus' name was supposed to be. The servant that God's referring to here is Jesus. And guys, if we need to listen to anybody, we need to listen to him. You remember Jesus when he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and in the book of Mark, it's, it's kind of stated like this, that there was Peter, James, and John, and they kind of fell asleep. And, and all of a sudden they wake up and Jesus is in his, his, his earthly stuff has been peeled back and you can see him and they could see him in, their, in his glorified body. And he's talking to Moses and Elijah about his coming exodus. That's what he was talking about. And Peter, who was always sticking his foot in his mouth. I, I, I see myself like Peter. I'm always sticking my foot in my mouth. But Peter decides they needed to build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And all of a sudden, the, the scene changes and Moses and Elijah are gone and Jesus is there. And God, this is what God says. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew exactly what God wanted you to do, but you didn't listen? What happened? You don't have to tell me out loud. Just think about it yourself. What happened? Don't you wish you could go back and do that over again? Don't you wish you could go back and undo what you didn't do like the first time like God told you to do? Uh, Jesus was God's authoritative son. He says here in verse 2, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. You remember what people said about Jesus? Never did any man speak like this. Jesus was not only that, He was like a polished arrow. Now, arrows were pretty primitive back then. But what happened when you had a polished arrow? It would go straighter, wouldn't it? And it would fly further and it would penetrate deeper. What does God say about His Word? My Word is like a sharp two-edged sword that divides between soul and spirit, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler who came to Him? The rich young ruler came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And Jesus, of course, immediately jumped to the second half, the second tier of the Ten Commandments that speak about our relationship with others. You're supposed to love your neighbor, not supposed to defraud. And, all. and, the, and the young man, I think he was as sincere as he knew how to be. And he said, from the very, from the very moment of my childhood, I've kept these commandments. And then Jesus looked at him. I can't imagine that look at Jesus that must have penetrated down to the man's very depth of his being. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you have and come follow me. Not about religion, it's about a relationship. You're not keep, you're, you may be keeping the second half of the Ten Commandments, but what's the first half? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know what this guy did? He chose the God of money over the God of salvation.
in that moment. He went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. You don't think Jesus was a penetrating arrow in the lives of people? Why do you think the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had Jesus put to death? Because his words were so pointed. They were so convicting on those people. And instead of listening to the voice of God and doing what they were supposed to do, just like the Jewish people some 2,000, 4,000 years before had done when they were in Babylon, they refused to listen to the Lord. Because they didn't want to. What about us? Do we listen to God? Or are we like so many people, our minds are made up and we don't want to be confused with the facts. We don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want to listen because we don't want to do what He says do. Guys, we need to listen. God wanted His people to listen. God wanted all the nations to listen at what He was going to do through Jesus. Notice this servant. In verse 3, He said to me, God said to me, this is Jesus speaking, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Why, why did God refer to Jesus as Israel? Well, most people believe there was at least two reasons. One, uh, Jesus was a representative of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were descendants of Abraham. And what did God tell Abraham in Genesis 12, 3? told him first to leave his people and his kindred and go to the land that he was going to show him, and I'll make you into a great nation. Then he says, and you are to be a blessing to all the nations and all the peoples of the earth. Did Israel as God's people ever be a blessing? Were they ever a blessing to all the nations of the earth? Just go back and read the history. They hated the other nations. They hated being in bondage to any of the nations. So Jesus fulfilled that prophecy that God had given to Abraham. It was through his descendants that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And God's going to make that clear as we get along a little bit further over in here. Uh, But also, Jesus was the obedient servant that Israel never was. God continued to call Israel into obedience. And God would have made it possible for them to be obedient to him. But they refused. They refused to repent when they sinned against God. They wanted things the way they wanted them, and they didn't listen. But Jesus, God's servant, would come, and he would not only, though, restore the people of Israel and Jacob, he would also be a light to the nations. But look what's going to happen first. Look what he says in verse 4. First of all, we'll go back back just a minute to verse 3. You're my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. God is going to be glorified. Remember what Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified? Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. He said, I've given you glory while I was on the earth. Go read John chapter 17 in Jesus' prayer and it'll tell you what Jesus said to the Father, notice what it says in verse 4, But I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing, and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense is with my God. Think about Jesus, what He did. Remember Jesus when He came into Jerusalem? He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, stoned them and killed them. How often I would have gathered you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. 
and you would not. Your house is left to you desolate. They refuse to listen to God's word. Jesus came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How many people did Jesus have? Well, there were these great crowds until he started saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, speaking from a spiritual standpoint, and the people took it from a physical standpoint. And the Bible says many people quit following Jesus. They went back from following. When he was crucified, how many people were at the cross with him? How many disciples were at the cross with him? John. John was the only disciple that was with him at the cross. There were some ladies that were there. If it weren't for the ladies in, in our churches, we'd be in trouble, guys. I'm just telling you. There were some ladies that were there. Only one disciple. Can you imagine how heartbroken it must have been for Jesus to be on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, and just want some of his friends there to be with him? But they weren't. They were gone. He says, I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. The people refused, the nation as a whole refused his offer of a kingdom. And so he felt like he'd spent his life for nothing in vanity. And yet, what does he say? My right, my recompense is from the Lord. He trusted God. Even though he didn't feel like he could accomplish what God had sent him to do, he knew ultimately God was in control and his life was in the Lord's hands. Do we, do we know that? Do we know our life is in the Lord's hands no matter what comes? As Paul said, whether I live or whether I die, I belong to the Lord. Do we really understand that? I think sometimes we don't really believe that because we don't live like it. Uh, and so Jesus knew his right and his recompense would be with the Lord. In verse 5 he said, Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and Israel that might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will also make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Flip back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, let's read this verse. In verse 3 it says this, I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now what was Abraham supposed to do? God said, I'm going to bless you. But what was his responsibility? Was he not to share those blessings with all the peoples of the world? Isn't that what God told him here? And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed? Did Israel ever share the blessings of God with others around them? Flip over to Exodus 19. This is when Israel has come out of slavery. They are at the mountain of God. And God is about to give them the Ten Commandments. Look what he says 
In verse 4 of chapter 19, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For what? For all the earth is mine. It wasn't just the Jewish people that belonged to God. It's all the earth that belongs to God. He's the one that created it and all belongs to Him. And so He said, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does a priest do? What does a priest do? Okay. They preach. They intercede. I I like to think of a priest as a go-between. A priest represents God to the people and represents the people before God. That's what a priest does. Well, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. They were to represent all the nations of the world before God and represent God before all the nations of the world. What got them in trouble? What made them go into bondage? Idolatry, right? Were they representing God before the rest of the world? No, they were worshiping the same idols that the world was worshiping. God had called them to make a difference. Now He's going to say, my servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to do what Israel never could seem to figure out how to do and be a blessing to the nations of the world. He says, I'm not only going, you're not only going to bring my people back into a right relationship with me, but you're also going to be a light to all the nations of the world. The salvation of every people or people from every nation would bring God the greatest glory. And so Jesus was to be a light to the nations. He would ultimately fulfill the promises that God had made to Abraham that you are to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Why has God called us out of darkness? Well, let me remind you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race. He's speaking to Christians. You're a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They represent people to God and they represent God to people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can truly provide salvation for all the peoples of the earth. Jesus was a light for the nations. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He was the light of the world. What are we supposed to do? Jesus said, you're a light, right? Who who lights a light and sticks it under a bushel where nobody can see it? A light's held up high where it provides light for all people. You and I are a chosen people, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are called to point people to Jesus in the way in which we live our lives and in the way in which we speak to other people about who Jesus is. We are to lift up. What brings God glory? The salvation of the peoples, all the peoples of the earth.
you and I get this great privilege, don't we? We have a servant who's come, who's provided salvation. He was a light. He was a salvation not only for God's people, the Jews, but he was also salvation for us, the Gentiles, for all the peoples of the world. And you and I are God's ambassadors, is what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we literally are supposed to beg people to come into the kingdom of heaven. We're supposed to come and plead with them that they put their faith and trust in Christ because there's salvation in none other. It's only found in Jesus. Jesus set a great example for us. Don't you imagine this word had to bring great comfort to God's people to know that they would be returning back? That God would take care of that? That God would ultimately restore the relationship between Israel and Jacob and himself? But it's also encouragement to us because we are a part of the nations. And salvation has not just come to the Jews. Salvation is for all men. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Life. And you and I, what are we to do? We are His ambassadors. And we're to go tell people about who Jesus is. We're to be a light to the nations. We're, so, we're to let His light. We don't have our own light. We have the light of life living inside of us, Jesus Christ. And as we let Jesus shine through the things that we do and the words that we speak, it points people to our great Savior, to this great servant that God was sending to His people. So let me ask you this. How are you doing? How are you doing on being a light to others around us? Let me just encourage you. to. Nobody needs to point fingers at anybody. We all can do better than what we're doing. But I just encourage you to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, how can I be a servant? How, how can I let your light shine through me? And Lord, give me people that I can talk to to tell about your son who is the light above all lights. He's the light of the world. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you that you have done such a wonderful job for us because we can never do it for ourselves. Lord, we can never purchase our salvation. We can never live a perfect enough life. We can never be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we're no different than Israel because, Father, we have, we've walked away from you. We've, uh, Lord, abandoned you at some point in our life. And, Lord, let you loved us with an everlasting love. And your servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who came and provided salvation for us. And Father, we are so grateful and so thankful. But Father, we also realize there are other people that need to know who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that we will be the light of the world. That people will see Jesus in us wherever we go. And Lord, that the words that proceed out of our mouth will be words of grace. They'll be words of edification. And they will be words that point other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.